And this is Dan. Together we pastor Hope Culture Church in Elgin, Illinois. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's fun to be up here. Um, A little bit more about me. Um, About seven years ago, I actually went through this process called Life Plan. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it before, but it's basically where you spend two days with a facilitator and they talk about your life and kind of where it's going, your vision. They talk about all your history, your background, your past. And at the end, you have a bunch of tools, which is really helpful. But really one of the main things you get out of the week or the two days is that you have kind of a purpose statement for your life. And so today I'm going to share mine with you. Um, which is, I think one of the slides, is to reveal who God really is. So my purpose in life is to reveal who God really is. Now, that might sound kind of lofty, but honestly, it excites me so much and it really pumps me up. I love spending time with people and helping them understand the Bible more, answering their questions. I know in a room like this, people could have different church backgrounds, different experiences with the church, or religion of any kind. And so I love... Uh, helping to reveal who God really is. And so today, I think it's even more important because we're going to be studying the Ten Commandments. And what like part of Scripture could we think of that maybe is a little bit misrepresented in our minds and backgrounds as the Ten Commandments? Like a lot of people really think of the Ten Commandments as a set of rules, and they think of this God who's like angry and mad and just has all these commandments. And so I'm really excited today to kind of help look at it a little bit differently and think about how it reveals who God really is and not just a set of rules. So a little fact for you, I don't know if you know this, but the word commandment doesn't actually even appear in the original text for the section. Now, when you look in your Bible, you'd be like, no, it's right here. And that's because that's a header that someone added. But the original language, the word commandment does not even appear. And so, um, In history, this section has actually been called something I love. Actually, it's a little bit softer. It's called the 10 words. And so today, I think as we dive in, I really want us to think about hearing God's words and seeing him differently so that we can not just hear a bunch of rules, because honestly, they are rules. That's why they're in there. Um, But to see the heart behind them and what they reveal about who God really is. And so are you guys ready? Now, I'm going to be clear, um, this is a 10-point sermon. Usually, you guys get a three-point sermon, so we're going to be here a while. Um, No, I'm just kidding, but that does mean that we're not going to be able to go in-depth on all 10, and so some of them we're going to have to cruise through pretty quick because I do want to honor all of our time, Um, but just keep that in mind as we go through. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to jump into Exodus 20, and we're going to start at verse 1. Um, Now, pastors Dan and Abigail have done such a great job of taking us through the book of Exodus so far. I mean, we've gone on a a crazy journey with the Israelites who were in slavery. There was all these plagues. They've gotten taken out of slavery. They've gotten through the Red Sea. And now they're on the other side. And imagine this. They're standing at the base of Mount Sinai where God is at the top of the mountain and he is speaking to them in thunder and lightning and the trumpet sound. And so a lot is happening right now, and Moses is just coming down to tell them what this covenant is that they're to have with God. And so that's kind of where we're at in our imagination. Um, All right, so the first commandment, let's jump in. So the first commandment is here on the screen. It says, And God spoke all these words. 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So we could summarize this by saying, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, in the original context, when the original Ten Commandments were first heard by them at the base of the mountain, the worship of multiple gods in their culture was, was really, really common. And so I'm sure while they and their ancestors were in slavery, they probably encountered a lot of these gods. For example, like a sun god, a fertility god, a water god, a whole bunch of different things for the harvest and things like that. So if we view the first commandment kind of as simply a rule, um, it's kind of easy to understand. God's saying like, hey, you have had all these gods before, now put me first. And so it's really easy to kind of understand. It's clear. But what does this commandment reveal about who God really is? What does it show us about his heart? So unlike these other gods, I think, in their experience, um, this God actually acted. You see, the gods of fertility, the gods of sun, didn't always answer and they didn't all, you didn't know if you pleased them ever. You were always kind of like really trying to do something to get them to pay attention to you. And it was like 50-50 if they'd act. And so this God, he acted. They prayed to him while they were in slavery, and he answered. I mean, that's pretty awesome. And he had these huge actions of the parting of the Red Sea and saving them and the plagues. Um, and I think the cool thing about this, too, is that he shows up in those big, big things. But did you notice that in verse 1, it also says, and God spoke. So not only does he listen, this God, he speaks to them. He's very clear. He tells them what he's thinking. He spoke to humans. I think that's so, so beautiful. And I think this first commandment really sets the foundation of who God is. He's the God who listens to us. He's the God who acts on our behalf. And so that is so different than the other gods. And so that is why he says to put him first. Now, scholars agree that words used in this first commandment are covenantal. So you might hear the word covenant in there. Um, and that relationship, as the words are found in this scripture, actually sounds a lot like entering into marriage. And so God isn't just saying, hey, I'm commanding you all these things, do these. He's saying, I'm entering a relationship with you. Like, it's kind of like a marriage. Like, I'm in this with you. And that also is very unlike the other gods. And so I think that says a lot about him. So commandment number two, the second commandment, it says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me. So we can summarize this passage by saying, you shall not make idols. So I hear that my microphone has gone off, so I'll talk louder. Um, so in the time uh, of this, we talked about how they had multiple gods, and it was really common for them to hand make these little idols that represented their gods. Basically, as soon as they got a new god, which they had many, they'd be like, cool, step two, make a little idol and worship it. And so I think it's a little funny. God is really funny sometimes. I think he's funny that he has to share this second rule because he just said, put me first. And now he's saying, like he's saying, don't worship all those other like gods that do all these big things, harvest, fertility. And now he's saying, hey, and don't even worship these little ones. Like that should be obvious. But he's like, hey, 
don't even worship those little ones that you make by hand. And I think not only that, he doesn't want them to make these idols of these other gods. I think he's saying, don't be tempted to make me small. He's like, don't even make an idol of me because I cannot be made that small. And I love that. He's not like these other gods. He's like, you have worshipped them all these different ways, and I am different. Worship me differently. So in this passage, it's also hard not to notice there's some punishment. Um, And so this is probably where the commandments get their bad rap, right? Did you notice that it says he's going to punish the people who don't obey this to the third and fourth generation? Now, that's a lot of strong words and a lot of time. And scholars kind of debate exactly what the punishment is, like scholars do. And so who knows what the actual punishments are. But they say that all we know is that it's got some far-reaching implications. And so just like a good doctor that gives you a diagnosis, right, that's not determined. But that's what they say. So we can all understand that it is not the best uh, implications. So what does commandment to reveal about who God really is? Now, I'm sure you guys have heard the research in psychology that as humans, we hang on to negative comments way more than we hang on to positive. Someone could tell you like all these great things, one little tiny thing, and then a whole bunch of great things, a little sandwich they talk about. Um, And all we'll think about is that one thing. And so I think that's what happens with this commandment. Uh, We look at how God's going to punish those who don't follow it to the third and fourth generation. Um, And it's no different here. So the punishment, though, actually is pretty small in comparison to the blessing. I don't know if you noticed this, but it says for those who are faithful, it's actually going to be thousands of generations that receive blessing. Thousands of generations. And so I think we should try to focus on the positive here because I think God is saying, hey, if you follow me, if you step into this relationship with me, it's actually like a huge blessing for you and thousands of generations. So when I look at commandment number two, um, I don't see just a rule. I think it's an invitation for us to be blessed uh, for thousands of generations. All right, commandment number three, the third commandment. It says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So the third commandment, we could summarize this by saying just, you shall not misuse God's name. And so what is misuse, first of all? Um, Often we've heard it like, don't take the Lord's name in vain. So I think we're all pretty clear on that. Like, don't use his name as a swear. That's pretty common in our world today that people do. And so he's saying, don't do that. He also is saying, don't swear falsely. Like, if you put your hand on this and you swear, like, don't use my name if you're not going to actually uphold this, if you're not planning to follow through on what you say. And so, but what is God's name? And so, in Exodus, he actually reveals his name uh, for the first time. It's I am. Uh, Another way of calling him, his name is Yahweh. Maybe you've heard of this before. Uh, There's a vocab word coming up here for those of you taking notes. So in our Bibles, where you see the word LORD, if it's in all caps, L-O-R-D, that actually stands for Y-H-W-H, which is Yahweh, and that is called a tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton, everyone. That's a grad school word for you. You can all take that home. Um, And so, yeah, that's God's name. And so we're not supposed to misuse his name. Um, Early on when people heard this rule and on today into the Jewish culture, many people still don't even say the name Yahweh. 
they will say the name Hashem, which is Hebrew for the name, because they really do not want to break this rule. They're like, I don't want to misuse it. I don't even know what that means. I'm just going to call him Hashem, the name, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so what does this tell us about um, God, uh, commandment number three? I think it tells us that God's name really represents who he is. He can't be separated from his name. And so when we take his name in vain or use it in ways that don't represent him, I think that breaks his heart a little bit because there's so many people that don't actually know him that when we use his name, it should really represent his love and his glory and his power and his faithfulness. Um, and so I think that's just a good reminder that he is his name. All right, the fourth commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but on the seventh day he rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So a good summary of the fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath day. So this rule is pretty specific. I think it's pretty clear that you should work for six days and rest for one. It seems pretty clear. Um, and I think it's really interesting. This rule calls out that it's not just for you, it's for your whole community, that everyone, your guests, your animals, your children, everyone should rest for a day for the Lord. Now, the example God gives here is to follow in his own footsteps back to the time of creation, the original work week, right? He worked for six days and created everything, and then he rested. So as a rule only, I think it's pretty clear, work for six days and take a day off to the Lord. Um, but what does this commandment reveal about God's heart and who he is? So often we can learn something new about God when we compare the cultural norms that the Israelites were living with um, to prior to God giving these 10 words. Like what's new, what's different? And so in the ancient Near East, throughout the region, it actually was pretty common for people to use seven-day increments and so, or seven-day units because a lot of their calendars and activities were based on the phases of the moon um, and the sun. And so what was new, though, God wasn't coming up with something new with these seven days, but what was new was the idea of resting, resting one day out of every seven. The idea of a Sabbath was really unheard of. So I want you to imagine this. You are an Israelite. You've just come out of slavery where who knows if you had any time off. I mean, you were working all the time, and especially towards the end. They weren't even given the tools to make the bricks and, you know, whatever. And so here is a God who's asking them as a commandment to rest. He tells them to rest. Now, this commandment, I think, makes it easier to see how compassionate God is towards his people, um, just because he wants them to rest. But two more things I love about this passage is that if you notice that um, strangers are mentioned or guests, and so in the ancient world, somewhat like it is a little bit today, people who are settling in a new area don't often get the same benefits with law uh, the legal system or government um, or any rights. And so God even calls out the guests that they should rest. 
And then I also love that he calls out the animals. He says, hey, let your animals rest. And that just reminds us again that God is the creator of all. He's the creator of humans. He's the creator of animals. He created it all, and he still cares, even in these Ten Commandments, about all of them resting. So I really love that. I love that he's full of love and consideration for all of his creation. So now we're moving on to Fifth Commandment. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So honor your parents, honor your father and mother. So at the time this commandment was given, it wasn't so much different than now um, that the family life is really the foundation of where you kind of get all your human relationships, right? I mean, you're born and those are the first people you know. Uh, Those are the people you spend most of your life with. And so um, that's where relationship begins. And so the Hebrew word here for honor um, means to be made abundant or to gain glory. So I think we can understand that he wants us to give our parents, our, our father and mother, glory. And especially in this culture, the opposite would be don't bring them shame, like bring them glory. Um, and scholars say that this commandment also likely extends to adult children. So we're not just thinking about like obey your parents, but it's like even as an adult, really honor your parents. Um, And other people say that this is also about honoring the elders of the community. So not even just your parents, but elders in the community. So it's kind of similar to our rule today, like respect your elders, right? So as a rule, that's what that is. Um, But what does this commandment reveal to us about God and his heart? Um, Did you see how once again, God just didn't give a rule, but he actually had a reward attached to obedience? Um, He says the reward is to have long life long life in the land. Now, don't forget, he's giving them this land. He's told them about this amazing land that is is promised to them. Um, And one scholar says, the reward for honoring your parents or your elders in this command is naturally enough actually surviving to become an elder in the land. So if you honor your elders, you can then become an elder yourself. Um, But outside of just rewarding the people, this commandment, I think, is really personal to God himself. Um, Earlier in Exodus, we might remember um, when Pastor Dan was teaching that uh, God actually referred to the people of Israel as his son. He said, they are my firstborn son, when he was telling Pharaoh to let them go. So he really views uh, this father-child relationship as very important to God. He views the Israelites, and us as his children, which I think is really beautiful and unlike any other God they had ever experienced. They are his children. How beautiful. And I know some of us have different parent relationships uh, in our past, and so it could be easier or harder to honor our parents that raised us. But what a great reminder that you have a heavenly father who loves you um, regardless. So the sixth commandment, Um, you shall not murder. And so I have to say, I'm sure you guys appreciate this too, but at this point, God starts making them a little shorter. So helps with the speediness. Um, But I think it's also clear, you shall not murder. So we know from back in the book of Genesis that Cain murdered his brother Abel, and God was like not happy about it at all. And so I think God does not like murder. I think that's pretty straightforward. So don't murder. How about that? All right, and what does this commandment tell us, though, about God himself? Um, I think it tells us that God really values life. 
but he is the creator of life. He really values it. In Psalm 139, it tells us that each human is lovingly woven together in their mother's womb. He, even, he knows all of our days. He knows everything about us. He really does craft each and every one. And God is really only the one then, I think he's saying here, who can take life. I created life, and I'm really the only one that should be trusted to take life. Um, it's kind of like when your parents tell you, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of it. Okay, so I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. That's how God is, but he does it in such a loving way. Because, um, and I think he's really the only one who can because he values life so much. And so I think uh, in summary here, we should leave life in God's capable hands. All right, commandment number seven. Um, you shall not commit adultery. So as a rule, this one's really interesting. Um, so we could summarize it by saying, be true in your marriage. We could say, don't cheat. And so for me personally, this one was super interesting while I was looking into this because in scholarship, it's very, very important, uh, which I agree with, uh, to go back to the original context and understand what was happening then so that we can really understand what the word meant back in the day. And so a lot of scholars that I read talk about how when the Israelites heard the word adultery, they actually thought it only applied to a specific group of people. In fact, it didn't actually apply to men, is what they thought. Um, well, unless a man slept with someone else's wife, because if a married woman cheated, then that was adultery. And so, okay, as part of the human race myself, I totally recognize that we like loopholes and we like to get out of things, right? And so I think it's pretty funny, though, that they're like, oh, that's not adultery. That's adultery. So, but later on, I also love that Jesus, when he spoke about this, he really set it straight, and he applied it to everybody, um, and men specifically in this passage, but of course it's for everybody. He says, but I tell you that anyone who even looks at someone lustfully has already committed adultery in their heart. And so Jesus really cuts to the heart of what I think this rule was. It wasn't just, oh, it's only those people or only these actions, but it's really to be faithful in your marriage, to be faithful in your covenant. Um, and so bottom line, cheating is not awesome. It breaks uh, the foundation of the marriage. So what does this reveal to us about who God really is? So there's another kind of parallel here, just like, uh, honor your parents and God being our parent and honoring our spouse or our covenantal relationships um, with God because this, the Ten Commandments is a covenant. It's like a marriage with God. And so in the biblical book of Hosea, adultery is also described um, as people turning to other gods, as them making idols and worshiping them. And so he considers that adultery as well. So there's really a clear connection here is that it's all about the relationship and keeping your covenant um, with God. And so I think for this specific one, I think God is asking us to have our human marriages reflect up to kind of shine how amazing he is in our relationship with him. So we've got a couple commandments left. We've got three. And so I'm going to kind of bundle eight, nine, and 10 together um, for the rule portion. And then we'll look at what that reveals about God. So first one is uh, the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. So this one also feels, feels pretty clear to me, like don't steal, right? 
And so believe it or not, though, many people over time have been like, what does that exactly mean, right? And so is this stealing or is that stealing? And so again, in scholarship, it's kind of interesting what people define as stealing. Um, and so there's some examples later on in Exodus. So for example, everyone agrees that stealing someone's animal is stealing. So don't do that. Um, and then anything that's like their possession, that's stealing, don't do that. And then the other thing that they totally agree on is that you should not kidnap. So don't do that. <laughs> um, but I think the point of this whole thing, I think sometimes when these commandments are shorter is because I think God's like, if you have to ask, just don't do it. Like, that's what it is. So, all right. So um, commandment number nine is you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So sometimes people um, sum up this commandment as like, don't lie, which I think is, it could be fair. Um, in their culture, though, the reason it was probably worded as testimony is because truthfulness and your witness and testimony was critical to a community actually having justice um, and order and truthfulness. And so two witnesses were necessary in order for evidence to be valid. And so if someone was lying or giving false testimony, that actually would like crumble the entire system. And so if this group of people was going to rec represent God to the world, he was really saying, hey, if you're going to represent me, we need this to be just. We need you to not lie. We need your witness to be honest, because that's what's going to show the watching world that we are different and draw them to God himself. So the second part of this rule, we're all somewhat familiar with if we've grown up in church, but the question of, well, who is my neighbor? Who is this neighbor that I'm not supposed to like speak falsely about? So even back then, I think the tendency was to assume that your neighbor was your best friend and you know all the people you like to hang out with and your family, all the people that are nice to you and like you. Um, but I think we all also remember uh, later on when Jesus defined who our neighbor was in the story of the Good Samaritan, when he said, our, good, our, our neighbor is everybody, even your enemy. Your neighbor is everybody, even your enemy. Whether they like you, they don't like you, whether they are like you or they are not like you, um, that is who your neighbor is. And so I think this rule is pretty easy to understand. Um, that God really wants us not to lie, and he wants justice for everybody, whether they're our friend or not. Um, and now, the 10th commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So some people could boil this down to like, don't covet, or don't be jealous, and so don't be jealous of the things that belong to someone else. So like their actual house, like don't be jealous. Their spouse, don't be jealous. Their children, don't be jealous. Their job, don't be jealous. How much money they have, their lawnmower, whatever. Don't be jealous of the things that they have. Now, appropriately, um, some have actually called this commandment, which I really like, the summary commandment. And so I kind of like the way of thinking of this because I feel like God is really thorough. I feel like he's given us all these things and he's like, and I'm going to button it up and just like give a big fat summary. And so he says, this commandment actually addresses the desire at the root of all these things that might cause us to sin or break these commandments. So if adultery, stealing, false witness, and murder are all crimes, then this commandment addresses kind of the heart 
of the problem. No crime would actually be committed if coveting were not at the heart of it. If we weren't jealous of someone, if we didn't want something that someone else had, um, then we wouldn't break the other commandments. So one scholar added that this rule here is against the inward desire that if fanned would lead to action. So I think as a rule, this one is not to be jealous, but it's also to kind of be aware of yourself so that you don't let it fan and fuel it into action. So we've just kind of bundled the last three together, um, eight, nine, and 10. And so what do these commandments tell us about who God really is? Um, in the ancient Near East, in that culture that we've talked about a lot more today than you've probably ever thought of, um, it was not new for people to have rules on how to interact with each other, right? That would have been called like laws or government or maybe even politics. So rules about how people interacted with each other. And it was also not new for the people to have uh, rules about how they interacted with God. That would have been considered religious. So they, they had all these rules about how they should interact with their gods. And so those things were not new. And a lot of these commandments that show up here are actually like not new. They're not new laws and they're not new religious rules. What was new, and I love that one commentary said, even revolutionary, I love that, um, was that God actually created a covenant that mixed the two together. So he mixed social laws about how people should act towards each other and how like religious laws. And so you could say, you know, religion and politics, he mixed them right here. Um, so that was new. So think about it. What other God cared about how much honor people gave their parents? I can't think of any. Or what other God cared if they hurt or murdered each other? Sometimes they even required that. Hey, hurt yourself, so I'll bring rain. So they didn't really care about their people. And what other God, even more personally, cared if they were faithful in their marriages? Other gods were typically not involved in this level of like personal life of their subjects. And so our God cares both about how we treat and interact with him and how we treat and interact with each other. That both of those things are considered obedience or faithfulness or living up to our part of the covenant. And so it shouldn't be a huge surprise then later on when Jesus was asked, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What is it? Like, I don't really want to remember all 10. Like, could you just tell me what the greatest one is? Um, and Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and prophets hang on these two commandments. So the greatest command is twofold. Love God and love people. And again, this shows how different this God was from any other God. No other God cares about all that. They just, it's me, me, me. But this God cares about how you love him and how you love others. So now we're going to go back to Moses, back to the mountain, back to the people. They're standing at the base. And so as most of us know how the story goes, um, the people were not able to keep the Ten Commandments very well. And in fact, um, Moses was the first one to break all ten. He actually broke them. <laughs> so they were not keepable. So that's a little joke. I should have done that better. 
Um, but he was the first to break all 10. And so it's kind of a funny punchline if you think about it, but it's also very sad. It's very sad um, that for thousands of years, the Israelite people kept trying to keep up with the 10 commandments. And if you know anything about it, kind of week after week, month after month, year after year, they had to make sacrifices of animals to make sure that they paid for or atoned for their sins. And so each of us, if we think about the Ten Commandments today, I think it's, if we're being honest, we have all broken the Ten Commandments. Maybe we haven't murdered, um, but that doesn't let us off the hook of all of them about God's rules with us. And so in Romans, it has a good summary. It says, all people, whether the Jews, the Israelites, or Gentiles, um, which most of us are today, are under the power of sin. All people are under the power of sin. And as the scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. And so, again, that's kind of sad news because we all sin. We all fall short of this covenant with God. Um, but there's good news, of course. Um, of course there is. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because of all that we've seen the Ten Commandments reveal about the heart of God. He cares about us so much that, of course, he would take that bad news of us really being sinners and say, hey, there's really, really good news. And so in Romans, again, it says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As it was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. So I don't know if you remember the story of Christmas, but God came down himself in human form, Jesus. I don't know if you remember the story of Good Friday, but Jesus, God himself, went to the cross and was the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And I don't know if you remember Easter, but Easter is when Jesus rose from the dead and showed his power as God to not only defeat all of our sin, but also death. And so when I was growing up, I never had actually anyone share that with me. I never understood why I was celebrating any of these holidays. Um, and so I think today, though, hopefully you've gotten a glimpse of who God really is and an understanding maybe of the story that unfolds that kind of starts with an understanding of the Ten Commandments. So I know there's kind of two people, two types of people in the room today. Some of you have maybe never heard this before. Maybe you were like me, and I had never understood how it all connected. And so I want to invite you. Maybe today is your day to say, hey, I have broken those commandments, but I have a better understanding now of God. He's not angry. He's actually loving and kind and wants a relationship with me. And so today maybe is your opportunity to, to step into that relationship. And then uh, I think the second group of people in the room are people who followed God for a long time, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a week, maybe years, maybe decades. And maybe um, you've kind of walked away from your first love. You've forgotten kind of how loving and caring he is. Maybe it's gotten boring or bland. And some of these Ten Commandments have reminded you and stirred you of the ways that you've kind of fallen away. And so I want to say to both groups, you are welcome and invited into this relationship with Jesus. And so I'm going to read uh, from Romans again. It says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, 
freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood for them. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is just and fair, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So I hope today you'll have seen a different perspective of the Ten Commandments. That it's not just a set of rules, but it's a way for God to reveal his heart for you, his invitation for you to join in this marriage, this covenant with him. And so um, for both groups of people, I would love to pray with you right now as the band comes up as well. Um, So why don't we pray together? Dear God, uh, we just want to thank you. Thank you that you are a God who is so clear that you speak to us, God, not only through the Ten Commandments, but through your entire Bible, God. It's amazing how much you tell us about yourself. God, we're thankful for who you are, and we want to confess that we have fallen short. We have worshipped other things. We have worshipped other people or ourselves or other gods. Um, But God, we're so thankful to have a bigger understanding of who you really are. And that first, you call us into relationship, and then you ask us to to know you more and to to follow you, God. So I just pray for each person here, um, whether it be the first time they confess that they need you, Jesus, um, or if this is just a re- turning back to the cross. God, I pray that you would hear, and I know you will, each of our prayers and meet us exactly where we're at. Fill us with your love and your grace and as a reminder of who you really are. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life. To share your story or a prayer request, simply hit contact on our website. You can also support the ministry of Hope Culture Church by visiting hopeculturechurch.com give. We hope you have a great week.